morning, everyone. Right. Um, if you haven't been here, thankfully, we are living in a day and age where no YouTube, sorry, we don't put it on Facebook anymore. So you're welcome to go and listen to the series. Um, in the last four weeks, including today, so it will be five, we've been spending time in the book of First Thessalonians. Say Thessalonians. I've realized that's a difficult word for people to say. So I'm going to say it one more time. Say Thessalonians. It's not Thessalonians. It's a T-H, so it's Thessalonians. All right. Thessalonians. Friends, I really hope and, and trust that you are ready, and I know I'm still getting used to this whole school holiday vibe where just the world stands still in school holidays, um, but I, I really hope that your faith is ready for the next five months um, of this year, that um, there's incredible things that lie ahead for us, uh, this discipleship conference. I think one of the main reasons this is so important, because... The westernized church idea is a very, we come to something, we attend something, it's awesome, we're filled with emotions and fluffiness, and then we go and we live our lives. And what I'm really expecting for for this conference is to help us see what does a discipleship culture look like? Because yes, we disciple people, and yes, we have connect groups, and I hope you are being discipled, but what does a culture look like when we start seeing um, institutions, organizations, businesses, nations being discipled? Because that's when a culture starts existing. So this is what I'm, re I'm expecting to see and happen at this conference. And um, we've just seen throughout the world that um, there's only been one movement that's really changed everything, and that was the discipleship movement Jesus started almost 2,000 years ago. You're a part of it, by the way. All right. Um, so let's continue with that. I want to encourage you. Um, it's from 9 to 3. So if there is rugby, for those of you who watch rugby, you can get home and you'll still be able to, um, you know, indulge in that, I guess. Um, but for the, yeah, it's from 9 to 3, 30th of July. I want to invite everyone to attend. It's really going to be life-changing. And maybe you're not sure what this whole discipleship thing, discipleship thing is all about. And this is a good place for you to start. Um, to really get importation from someone who was reached as a student, who 38 years later uh, is part of a leadership team who have 100,000 people in a church in the Philippines. That doesn't just happen like this, friends. That is a movement of God. Um, that in 38 years we are in 84 nations around the world. That doesn't just happen. That is a movement from God. And it started off by reaching a student on campus, putting the word in their heart, and seeing the word come alive. So please don't miss this opportunity. Um, and don't be the, that person that misses out and you hear how awesome it was the next day and now you feel like, oh, we should have gone. Yeah, we sh Just life is difficult enough then to live with regret. Um, so there we go. All right. This, this whole book and this whole series we've been doing that's been covering the first letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church or... Um, the whole theme about it, we've been speaking about it a lot, is in light of Jesus' return, in light of Jesus coming back, in light of the second coming, um, there's a way you and I are supposed to live. And what I love about this letter it is Paul doesn't design it to kind of give us cheap answers about the end times, but he gives us more a way to live, a hope to live for, that we know that God is in control and his plan will come to pass. Whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, that he's in control and his, and his plan will come to pass. And that's what I love about this, this letter. It doesn't just give us answers, and it does on certain things, and some things it leaves it still a bit in the gray area. But what I love, it's very clear how you and I are supposed to live in this 30, 50, 60, 90-year span that you live in eternity. Do you realize how short that is, church? We don't because we don't know what eternity is. It is, a, it is a concept too big for us to understand. We don't know what forever means. 
We don't. And this is why I believe God really wants to reveal to us what His plans is forever, so we can see what it's about. But if you are here today and you were here last week and you heard Retief saying that Wesley's going to tell you everything about the end times and you're here to get your answers this morning, um, yes, I'm going to tell you when Jesus is coming back. Are you ready for it? One, two, three, I don't know. But wait a minute, Wes, you're the preacher, you're the pastor, you, you, st- you study the Bible, you should know. Yes, I know, and I still don't know. So if you've come today for all the answers you've ever wondered about, um, 35 minutes ain't going to do it. Um, one book in the Bible is not going to do it. Um, rather go home and take what you've heard here and go and read it for yourself. Go and process it. Yes, we don't just build theology on a pastor's preaching, but on how you walk with Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Thank you. Um, you spending time with Jesus is important. You spending time in the Word of God is important. It's crucial for your growth. Moments like this is amazing, and I'm thankful that we've got um, people in place that can help us understand certain things. But this doesn't replace your personal diet in the Word of God. So I hope you're not disappointed knowing that you're not going to get all your answers this morning. Um, I trust this makes you hungry to get you in the Word. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're good, and thank you that you're here today, and thank you that you've led us through an incredible uh, few weeks just spending time in this letter. And I really pray, Lord, that the reason mostly that we do this is so that we will fall in love with your word, that we realize that your word is more than just a book. It's, it's a living element that is supposed to capture our hearts. I pray may you uh, just lead us through this morning. May your word convict us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've kind of got a lot to go through this morning, and if I don't, yet again, don't panic. It's fine. You have your Bible. Uh, you can go read it at home. But we're going to start this morning with 1 Thessalonians 5 from 1 to 11. All right. Um, can I ask everything in bold that you see on the screen that you read with me? Um, all right. Let's go for this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, I have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, say the day of the Lord, will come like a thief in the night. Say, thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep. As others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Say, keep awake. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. It's a beautiful piece of scripture with a lot of, uh, depending how you, where you find yourself this morning, a lot of things that might scare you, a lot of things like what destruction, where is this, doesn't sound like the Bible, what Bible do you read, um, wrath, where is, what is that, this is definitely not the Bible that I grew up with, friends, this is the word of God. And a lot of times when we see things like this, we either just skim over it because we don't really know what to do with it. Um, but friends, we can't just believe in the good things or the, the happy parts of the Bible. We believe in the Word of God in its totality. Amen? So we're going to jump into this. 
One of my favorite things that I like to do, um, even though if, if I say I'm probably an introvert, most of you won't believe me, um, but I enjoy watching people, like just sitting and watching people. It's fascinating sometimes. One of the best places to do it is at an airport. Um, don't know if you've like, ever had a long layover or you've been caught up in a waiting area, uh, but watching people at the airport is fascinating. Um, and then always trying to puzzle and figure out what stories is going on. And I always, I mean, I don't know, my family worked like this. If you do not let the family know when you fly that you've taken off, there's trouble. If you do not let the family know when you've landed, there's trouble. Yes? Okay? Um, and I was like watching, these, watching people come and go, and I'm like thinking, somewhere this person let someone know, we're taking off. And then they land and said, uh, we, there's a 10-minute delay. But on WhatsApp, they're kind of like this, there's this negotiating happening. And then you'll see the person in the waiting area picking up their phone and then putting it down and picking up their phone. Kind of, where is this person I have been asked to pick up at our tambo? Um, Ubers are very expensive from the airport to Pretoria, so if you get asked, just what a great way to serve someone. I'll come pick you up at the airport. Um, and, but what I love the most about those waiting areas is there are some people that are so excited about the person that's coming. There's balloons, there's flowers, there's even like this welcome home. Now we see this a lot of times with sports stars and sports teams. When the Springboks came back from the Rugby World Cup final, there was this just a gallery of people waiting for them, all wearing their clothes, but they knew where they're coming, right? People know that, you, that the person that you're waiting for is coming. Why? Because there's some communication, there's some allusion to it, there's anticipation to that. You don't pitch up at a wedding area in the airport not expecting anyone. Right? If you do, good for you. Um, it's probably a nice way to spend a Friday night as well. But we sit there with anticipation for the person to come. And, then, and now it starts getting late. It's like they should have landed 15 minutes ago. Where are they? And now you start watching that door. Because as if, if you can see through that door, it will kind of just settle your heart. It's like just, and you get people like they get anxious now. That's always the funniest group of people. Like they're now going to stand. It's as if them standing you know, closer to the door, they'll see the person quicker. Um, I always find that just sit and relax. Go and get another coffee and they'll come. But that's almost how you and I are called to live with anticipation for the second coming of Jesus. There is communication, there, there's illusion made to that there's an event coming that you and I have to be prepared for. It is so important that it's actually found there's 270 writings about just the second coming of Jesus in the New Testament alone. So I'm fascinated by this because this means that for when the church started and the early believers, this concept was very important. Knowing that he's coming back, knowing that evil will be judged, knowing that sin will be destroyed, knowing that God's plans come through. And then I oftentimes look at modern society and we sometimes are sometimes surprised by something like death and suffering and hardships. It's like, oh, how could this happen to me? Yes. Now this doesn't take away that experience. As if this, the, the new church, remember Thessalonians, three weeks, they were planted, boom, new church planted, there go the leaders. Find themselves in a tricky place without their leader. I mean, new believers. These weren't people that had theology degrees. They were new believers. And I'm fascinated that this was so important for them to know this. So verse 1, it says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you do not need, there is no need for me to write anything to you again. 
So clearly there's been a teaching about this. Clearly they understand that Jesus is coming. Clearly there's this, Paul says, I'm not going to write to you about it again. Now, I like this approach because sometimes I feel like we, as church, have to labor on certain things over and over and over. And I believe this is some point, guys, we, are we still talking about lordship? Are we still talking about Jesus first in your finances, in your purity, and in your relationships? That I just love how Paul says, I don't have to write about this again. You know the truth. And I'm going to keep you accountable to this truth. Need I, there's no need that I say more about this. And even when it comes to end times, I mean, there are books and movies and TV channels dedicated for this. It's like Paul just says, there is no need. You know the truth. So verse 2, we find a concept that says, day of the Lord. Say, day of the Lord. Now, what is this? What is the day of the Lord? So there's a few different words that kind of describe it. I'm going to use uh, one that we call judgment day, Armageddon, end of the world. Ooh. <laughs> This day is when the wrath of God exterminates sinners and sin forever from the earth in preparation for the new heaven and new earth. This day is when the wrath of God exterminates sinners and sin forever from earth in preparation for the new heavens and new earth. And here again, where's, white? where's the love in this? We're not a black eyed peace song. We, we are quoting scripture. And it's important for us to understand that God cannot be love and just separate from each other. And we're going to unpack that as we go on this morning. See, this is crucial for these believers to understand and for you and I to believe that God will deal with evil and deal, deal with sin. Nothing goes unpunished. So whatever has been done to you, whatever you've gone through, whatever someone has done in your life or the devil has caused in your life, it will be judged. That is our good and faithful God is church. You and I can rest in the fact that evil will not win, that sin will not triumph, that God will destroy it. That's how much God hates evil. God is oftentimes being put in a corner and saying, but what about all the evil and suffering in the world? Surely there's no God. Look what's happening. No, God says, I see what's happening and I will destroy it. That's how much I hate it. God hates evil and sin more than what you and I do. If you think things are burning in your heart, God says, well, don't worry. I've got eternal damnation of fire that will destroy it. That's how much God hates evil. Why is it important? Remember, this church is going through persecution for their faith. How easy is it for them? Oh, this is too difficult. Being this Christian thing is too difficult. I'm just going to abandon and become lukewarm and just kind of see my life through. No, it says, guys, don't worry. Let's persevere because God will deal with this. Second coming of Jesus. Now, when reading the Word of God, there's a lot of things that are clear and a lot of things that are unclear. We call it majors and minors. Now, I've got a very simplistic approach to understanding my Bible. The things that God and or that the Bible intended to be very clear, I'm in a major on that because it's crystal, crystal clear. Things that are a little bit unclear or mm, I'm not... Um, those normally fall into the minor category. Don't let a minor rob you of accepting a major. Now, 
In every nation, we also have a few things that we believe are non-negotiable, that are very clear. I mean, you can go read the Every Nation Statement of Faith on our website, and one of the things, for example, is one of the things that we believe and proclaim that is a non-negotiable, that is crystal clear, is that the Holy Scriptures are originally given by God, divinely inspired, infallible, entirely trustworthy, and the supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. So that's one of the things that we believe is the Every Nation Movement. If you want to go and read the 10 Statement of Faith that we have on our websites, you're welcome to go and do that. Now, when, how, what would the second coming look like? This judgment day. Now, this is something that we believe that it is okay to have a difference of opinion. Within every nation, even as a movement, there are some leaders that believe different things with regards to this. And we believe that's okay. Don't you know it's okay that in some things there's place for wiggle room where we say, okay, I know you believe that, I believe that. But this isn't crucial for us understanding who God is, obtaining salvation, and accessing His mission. A lot of people spend so much time on this matter, and I think, I hear you, but where is your passion for lost people? Where is your desire to live a pure and holy life? Can we focus that, and we'll figure this out together somewhere? But there are a few things that are very clear about this second coming, this day of the Lord. There's some things that are very clear. It's number one, that Jesus is coming back, visibly, personally, and in bodily form. The Bible crystally clear states that He will come back and you can go read the book of Revelation. Um, in what form is he coming back? He's not coming back as a baby in a manger again, church. What's crystal clear is that we don't know. And we can be clear about that. We don't know when. The scripture we just read, it says that it will be like a thief in the night. There was a book written in 1988. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. Here we are. Then the man wrote a sequel. 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 89. It didn't sell as many copies as the first one. <laughs> then there was this movie called 2012. Remember the old 2012? A um, bit more closer to most of us, I guess. 2012, end of the world. The Mayan calendar says it's done. And yet people, I remember it's like, I was a student back then and we were like having supper, a few of my friends and I, we were like thinking... Just for in case, <laughs> what does your walk with Jesus look like? Let's just make sure. Um, and now, I mean, they documented it, and I've got a friend who always says he's going to show that the movie 2012 to his children and say he survived that. Um, it's one of the first places where I think Hollywood offer references South Africa with the Drakensberg being the highest mountain. Remember that at the end of the movie. If you haven't watched it, it's not that good. Um, so <laughs> don't watch it. Anyway, but we survived that. Here we are. We won't know. What we do know is there will be a resurrection of saved and lost people that have died or have gone to sleep. We do know that there will be a new heaven and an earth. We do know there will be a judgment. And we do know there will, in the new age that is coming, will commence with a wedding feast of the Lamb. These are the things we can be crystal clear about. When, how, there's many I guess, opinions about that, and that's okay for us not to all kind of believe the same, as long as it doesn't touch or affect how we know God, how we obtain salvation, and how we can be part of His mission. So the word thief in the night, now that's quite interesting, connecting Jesus to a thief. I don't know about you, but I don't think who's, who's ever thought when you've dreamt about Jesus, saw Him as a thief. 
And what Paul's using this, he's using this as a, as a, as a figuratively in a sense that this day will come uninvited and surprising like a thief comes in the night. You'll be so surprised and it'll be so sudden. None of us leave like a trail of breadcrumbs or appliances down the road to kind of lead a thief to your, to your house, right? It happens sudden, uninvited, unexpected. This is what the word of the Lord says. And interesting, it says, while people have peace and security, then suddenly devastation will come. Suddenly. And then he paints this picture and says, it will come like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now, this is the part in the message when I start showing you something that Paul's speaking about a they and a you, a they, a them, and a we. Right, we're going to get to that in a moment. But a woman cannot ex- escape labor pains. Can't. Just like this day, they will not escape the devastation that awaits. So I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that I think there will be many people surprised and taken off guard by this event. Maybe even people here sitting here this morning. If that would come this afternoon, are you ready? And then that's the thing, because you cannot, we cannot escape this. No amount of money, no amount of position, no matter where you live, will escape this. You can't, when, this is not the kind of thief that when he comes into your house, you just chuck your money, say, here's the, here's the, here's the key to the safe. So, so I didn't come for that. I didn't come for that reason. How are we feeling so far? Warm and fuzzy inside? Verse 4 says, say but. Now, I'm thankful sometimes for the word but in Scripture. Right? Say but. You are not in darkness to be surprised. Now, it depends where you find yourself this morning. Are you part of the you or part of the they? To here, Paul is writing to this church, this young Thessalonians church, and saying, but you are children of light. You are children of the day. You won't be surprised. Now, this could be one because at that stage when this day, this, this, this day of the Lord, the thief in the night occurs, that the rapture had taken place. Now, what's the rapture? Wow, that's, that's a mouthful. But the rapture is something we believe that it's a place where Jesus comes and fetches his church to be with him to escape certain things that will happen to the rest of the world. But even with this, friends, it's yet again something that is not necessarily clear. It's not necessarily a major. Therefore, there are four different perspectives when it comes to the rapture. I'm going to read it to you. Number one, it says, The pre-tribulation rapture position holds that believers will be caught up before the great tribulation. So before that day comes, there will be a rapture and the church will not be, or the you or the believers will not be part of earth anymore. Then there's another one that says the mid-tribulation rapture position holds that believers will be caught up at the midpoint. So it will be somewhere while the thief is prowling and breaking into homes, then that will happen. The third point is, third perspective is the pre-wrath rapture um, position holds that believers will be caught up at some time in the second half of the great tribulation. And the post-tribulation rapture position holds that the church will be caught up at the end of the, of the great tribulation. 
Now, yet again, this is one of the things where difference of opinion, I believe, is okay. Is what's the one that we should believe? Well, I don't know. Maybe you can read your Bible and can just figure it out for yourself. What do you mean, Wes? Just t- take the spoon and put it in my mouth. No. You can wrestle with this. I know which one I believe, and I know there's, there's one of these that I believe that Scripture paints a bit more clearer position about it. And you'll, you'll see my answer later. But is this something that you and I need so that we can follow Jesus, trust in Him, give our lives to Him, get involved with His mission, see the worship happen in every nation? No. Because we are children of the day, we don't live like those in the dark. So here we come to people of the day and people of the night. People of the day and people of the night. Two different groups that Paul is writing to in this fifth chapter. What I love about this is, do you see that your identity determines your destiny? People of the day... Don't have to worry about the the day of the Lord and the thief in the night because they won't be surprised by it because their destiny has been settled. Identity determines destiny, church. If you're wondering where you're going one day, settle your identity today. Are you a person of night or a person of day? Are you children or child of darkness or a child of light? How do I make sure what what happens when I die or what happens when Jesus comes? Well, settle it in your identity today. Are you a child of day or a child of night? What's the difference between day people and night people? Well, number one, day people will experience the rapture. They are caught up to heaven. There is spiritual life. There is hope. They dwell in spiritual light. They are spiritually alert, spiritually sober, and they will forever be with Jesus. Night people experience the day of the Lord, judgment day, Armageddon. They will be destroyed on earth. There will be spiritual death. There will be no hope. They will dwell in spiritual darkness. They will be spiritually asleep, spiritually drunk, and they will never be with the Lord. What I read, when I look at this, I think it's very easy for us to kind of see, okay, I know which team I want to be part of. Because on paper, it's an easy decision. But wrestling with your desires at home and in your workplace and on campus and... It becomes a different thing. Because ultimately, day people and night people, the main difference is the master they serve. You can't get the benefits without being under the master. It's the master they serve. One, day people serve Jesus. He is the one that ushers the age of light, when Jesus entered into, into history as a man and, and walked and lived his life and is forevermore alive, he started the age of light. He's the master of the age of light. He's the master of the day people. Night people, secondary, you, me, we are the masters. Primarily, Satan. Satan is called the prince of darkness, the prince of the current age. What I find interesting about the scripture is that Paul kind of encourages these, these, these believers that, you see, night people can't live like day people. But the sad reality is that day people can still live like night people. And for the next four or five chapter, verses, he, he, all that Paul does is wake up, don't be asleep, don't be drunk, wake up, wake up. 
Don't be sitting in the waiting area and fall asleep so that when Jesus comes through the door, you actually miss him. There is no use. You're driving to the airport. You're sitting in the waiting area. You've got your little sign, welcome home, and you fall asleep. Or you get so occupied by Facebook and Instagram that whoever you're waiting for is just past you. And I'm afraid, I think there's a lot of us that find ourselves in a position like that today. Good for you, you pitched up at the right place. You didn't drive to Lanceria, you went to Oratambo. But don't fall asleep now. Don't get so occupied with this world and the things of this world that you actually miss what you're there to do. Don't be a sleepy saint, a sluggish Christian. Too many Christians live like they are earthbound, that this is all that we have. That my money, my hard work is all I have. My positions, my future is all I have. And what is a sign of a sleepy believer? Number one, you've become insensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's like you don't hear the word of the voice of God, the unction of God, or the hunger of God in your life anymore. I become so insensitive to that. Number two, is your mind is caught up in earthly desires and worries. How many times, even in this book, do we see do not worry, do not be anxious? But you're just so caught up in here with what your desires are. Number three, the Bible stops having effect on how you live. Not necessarily, you could still read your Bible, but the Bible has stopped affecting your heart. The Bible has stopped affecting your feet. Number four, Jesus isn't the ultimate source and reason that should be life, not live. That Jesus is no longer the ultimate source and the reason for life. So sleepy Christians, wake up. The airplane is coming. He's on his way. We don't know how long. We don't know when. Probably most of us will die before then, but that means you anyway have to be ready. Don't wait. If you find yourself in the dark, come to the light. If you're in the dark today, come to the light. Don't wait. There's no Procrastination leads to death. But don't wait. There's not a better season for you to really become a Jesus follower and follow him with everything. Don't wait. Why wait? There's one thing that this last 12 months has not only shown me, but a lot of people in this church, is that life changes in an instant. You and I have got one guarantee, is that you will die. Your existence on earth will be finished. That is a bigger guarantee than what Monday, the 18th of July is. Scary thought, eh? How do I wake up? You exercise. You pursue Jesus. You get involved with his heart. You get involved with his mission. You're not just reading your Bible, but you're allowing the Bible to affect your life. You're part of a community of believers that have a dream that wants to reach and change and transform this world. You force yourself out of bed sometimes. We do that for other reasons. Seven o'clock is not early for biking, jogging, work, 
golf. You force yourself, I'm, I want to be awake. Having the right view of who Jesus is, his word, prayer, the church. What does this look like? What should a community of believers look like that are children of day, that are children of light, that are army of light? What does this look like? Now, I'm going to run, I'm going to touch on this because it, this is actually how Paul ends this whole letter. He kind of gives from verse 13 to verse 25, he gives us, okay, now that you're awake, now that I've told you, don't fall asleep, don't be in the dark, come from the dark, get into the light. It's going to make a Star Wars joke now, but. <laughs> Verse 12 and 13 says the following. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourself. If we want to be at peace among ourselves, we must see that God has gifted us certain people in our lives that have been put over us by him. So now read this, what I see, that we are called, if we are called to be children of light, if we are called to be a child of day, we are an honoring community. We honor those that God's put in our lives, that have been put over us to labor and work and be concerned about our souls and our destinies and our identities. It's right here in the Word of God. I'm encouraged that this comes from His Word. A few weeks ago I said, who are the Pauls and the Timothys God's put in your life? Are you just dreading time with them? I'm saying, you know, I thank you. I honor you. When I see this, I will esteem you very highly in love. I just love that. Isn't that honoring, church? We live in a, we live in a world in a time where leadership is brought down and we will not be ruled. We will not be led. But the value of leadership is very clear from his scripture. This doesn't mean people get on the throne. No, Jesus remains on the throne. But you and I are called to, have, to live in honor especially those, to respect those who labor among you. Verse 14 says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. Every nation willows, can you and I seek to do good to one another? Why? Because we are a loving community. If we want to be children of day, you and I are called to be a loving community. A loving community doesn't spend seven minutes outside drinking coffee once a week and saying, we love each other. It's getting involved, pushing through barriers, pushing through problems, pushing, making yourself available, friends. It's because we are called to love one another. That's what children of day look like. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you want, what's the will of God? Say this with me. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. You want to know the will of God for your life? Friends, when I see this and I'm called to be a child of day, this means I'm a worshiping community. I worship God through everything. Corrie ten Bloom, it's a famous story, a famous person in, in history. Is a, she's someone that survived um, the concentration camps in, um, I think, in Austria. And 
She's got an incredible story, but her sister, less known, is called Betsy van Bloem. Um, and they were, she was also with her sister in these concentration camps. And she writes a story about um, in one of the places where they were placed. Now, obviously, in a concentration camp, you're naked, you're exposed, you're being destroyed. And um, in this place where they lived, was, there were fleas. Like fleas, like thousands of fleas that were feasting on these naked bodies of these people that were placed into these concentration camps. Now, mosquito season is coming, and you can think how irritated we get with mosquitoes. Can you just imagine an infestation of fleas feasting on naked bodies? And Betsy from Bloom, she actually says something fascinating. She says, she thanks God for the fleas. Because of these fleas, the gods didn't ever want to enter their room. So they left them alone to pray, to worship, and spread the gospel to the people with them in that concentration camp. Be careful what fleas you are swatting out of your life. Be careful for the things that you're wishing and praying out of your life. Those could be the very things that God says, but if it's not for this, you will be destroyed. Be thankful. She was thankful for the fleas. That that doesn't make sense. I know. But if it wasn't for the fleas, the guards would have probably done horrible things to them. And then the last thing, who are we if we are children of day? Abstain from evil, verse 22, from every form of evil. Because God has said, I will judge it. Don't be, I, I don't want to destroy you. You are not destined for my wrath. You are destined, destined to obtain salvation through Jesus. It's right there in verse 9. God's will for your life is not to destroy you, but to save you and give you the eternal gift of Jesus Christ, friends. That is his will for you. And he says, abstain from it. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Wow, sanctify you completely. Who signed up for that? <laughs> Friends, that's all we trust. Discipleship does in our heart. We get to a place where we humble ourselves and open our lives and say, Jesus, sanctify me. And thank you that you will use people that love me enough that will speak truth into my life. And may your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are a holy community. Children of day, we're a holy community. We're a worshiping community. We're a loving community. And we are an honoring community. Diana, will you please join me on stage? There's this wedding approaching one day. Now, if you've ever been part of a wedding or you got married yourself, you know what that preparation feels like. You know, looking for a date, setting the venue, getting the dress, choosing your bridesmaids and, uh, what, and the men. Um, I get that word wrong too much, so I'm just going to say the men. Um, I mean, Yolani, I saw you guys are there. How exciting is this? This is preparation because something is coming. Friends, there's a wedding coming for those of us that are children of day that are called to live in life and light. There's a wedding coming where there's going to be a feast where the bridegroom will enter into history and say, here I am, my bride. Here I am. If we are children of day, there is nothing to fear. Only expectation and excitement saying it's coming. Can we live a life? This is what this book says to us. Live a life worthy of that. Live a life in expectation, in light of Jesus' second coming. Can we be children of day? And as a community, that means we love each other, we honor each other. 
we pursue holiness together and we worship together when things are good and things are tough. Can I ask that if you're going through a tough time, don't stay away from this. Don't see this as your season out of church. If you're going through a tough time, get closer, get deeper. When we live in light of his return, we live with eternity's value in view. Lord, what will have an effect for the rest of eternity and not just temporary pleasure? Now we think how we spend our time, how we spend our finances. Now we rethink this. Because Jesus, I want to have an eternal impact. If you're sitting here today, and you realize, I don't, I'm not really in the light. And I don't, I don't like the picture where, where night people are going. I don't like where, where the people of night will end. Because you realize that you've tried to puppet your own life, pu- puppet master your own life. But you've actually just given in to Satan's role in your life. If you want to step into light, I can also even just close their eyes. I just want to have a moment there today. I don't want to miss this. If you want to step into the light, if you want to transition from being in darkness to being in light, if you want to surrender your life and say, Jesus, you are my master now, and I accept you, and then I can thank you for everything that means. If you want to transition from darkness to light, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. Awesome. Just keep it up a bit longer. Just see how I'm praying with. That's brilliant. this decision is a glorious decision. It's one of the best decisions you make in life. Making Jesus the owner of who you are. So I want you just to pray with me while you're sitting. But before we do this, I want to ask you, can if you raise your hand, just look at me. God's put us in community for a reason. Because we're not called to live and pursue Him alone. So before I pray, can I ask that you maybe just come to the front after the service and just meet with some of the leaders. We just want to hear where you are and just help you. Okay, what are the next steps from this moment? Come, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're good. We can all pray this together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're true. Thank you that your desire for me is salvation and not destruction. Jesus, I'm sorry that I've made myself the boss of my life. I repent from all sin and I look forward to you to be the source of my life. Jesus, you are Lord of my life from this day forward. Thank you that I can be a child of light. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Second group of people, you might be sitting and you realize you've dozed off. Maybe not in the sermon, and if you have, I forgive you. Um, But maybe you realize you've dozed off. When you hear the gospel, when you hear mission, when you hear it, it's just like there's no fire. When you hear discipleship conference, it actually irritates you because you wanted to do something else on that day. Maybe you've dozed off. Maybe you've fallen asleep. I want to pray for you today that you will wake up. You'll wake up to the goodness and the purity of who God is. That He will 
capture your heart like the day did at salvation. Our dependence on Jesus grows. It doesn't get less the further we are from our day that we accepted him. See, if it's you, can you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. If you feel like there's a bit of sleepiness inside of you, nothing to be ashamed of. Rather settle it now. Awesome. Thank you for that. Just keep your hands up a bit. I want to ask us all to stand. Jesus, thank you that you are more than what I need. Let's pray this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that I wake up. I pray that I wake up, that I walk sober-minded in pursuing you with my feet, with my heart, with my mind. Do what you need. Do what you need to do to wake me up. That there's excitement and passion in my heart for you and everything concerning you. Thank you that I'm a child of day. I don't act like I'm in darkness anymore. Thank you, Jesus. You're the king of the day. You're the Lord of light. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen.